offer up my life. COVID just about killed me, and literally. And about eight years before that, I had this moment with my voice where I, I had a polyp growing on the left vocal fold, and had to go into surgery, and didn't know if I'd ever sing again. And about eight years before that, when my grandfather committed suicide, and we lost our unborn baby three days later. And, you know, just just seems like about every eight to ten years, something will happen in your life that just drags you right through the depths of the valley. Those are the moments that you look back and you're thankful for because those are the moments that you had to relearn all over again how to worship the Lord. And it's not with a song and it's not with singing and using your voice. It's, it's deeper than that. Nothing can stand against our hope and confidence. The blood of the Savior. The blood of the Savior. Hi and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. You're not going to want to go anywhere for this afternoon. We're going to have a great show for you. Together, we've got Charles Billingsley and Dr. Michael Spradlin on the program today. First, Dr. Mike, we've got some exciting things to talk about uh, Mid-America Theological Seminary and the college at Mid-America that's going to be taking place on April 27th, and somehow that has Charles Billingsley connected. (laughs) Well, I think that we are in the so excited to have somebody of his stature to get to come and be on our campus in person is amazing, And, and we're also thankful that it gets to be a blessing for our community. Of course, Charles beginning his career as lead vocalist for Grammy-nominated New Song, 30 years as a singer and entertainer, headlined more than 3,200 concerts, released 24 recordings as a solo artist, even at number one inspirational radio hits, performing thousands of shows from Carnegie Hall to the Kennedy Center. Charles, you and your wife, Shay, you've been married now for, what, is it 28 years? Well, as of last Monday, 28 years. Do you remember, Charles, the first time you laid eyes on Shay? Well, yeah, actually, it was a, my pastor friend had brought her to a concert I was doing at, at a little church called Westside Baptist in Eva, Alabama. I was about a year out of college and was just running around, you know, singing in these little events and things. And and he brought her to my concert that night, and it was sort of a blind date. Uh, we went out afterwards to uh, Waffle House because I thought that'd be a pretty nice place to you know, to go out to dinner, because I'm a pretty big spender anyway. And uh, so we ate at Waffle House. That's when we got to know each other that night. It's the first time I'd ever laid eyes on her. You said a blind date. So you've been blinded ever since because of her beauty, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, that's what it is. (laughs) That night, it was kind of funny. We're sitting there at Waffle House, and I'm I'm singing. I, I started singing at the table, just goofing off. And this waitress at Waffle House walks over to me and she goes, don't quit your day job, honey. <laughs> oh, <laughs> ouch. That <laughs> <laughs> hurts. You know, it's funny you say that because my first date with my wife, Pam, and we've been married now going on 39 years next month. Wow. Our first date, I took a Baptist hymnal and my harmonica, and we went downtown on the riverfront at, on the Mississippi, watched the sunset, sang hymns, and I played the harmonica for her. I don't know if I was in tune or out of tune, but something connected, Charles. <laughs> you know, those girls, they like a musician. They yeah, do. they like traveling with those music guys. <laughs> <laughs> I tell people that that might be why we're still together, because I've only seen her for half those years. <laughs> I also want to mention, Dr. Mike, about the seminary, equipping biblical leaders to light the way. Absolutely. We've been around for 50 years. The mission of the school, Bible missions and evangelism, is still very much a part of, of who we are and what we're about. And those, those core convictions have stayed with us the whole time. 
I've met many of your students and many are pastoring in the community. They've been on these programs that we've hosted here and we've talked to over the years. And they think you're awesome, Byron, just so you know. Oh, I really appreciate that. (laughs) Hey, Charles, I noticed you recently returned from the Praise Fest in Branson. I go up there a couple of times a year as an invitation with the uh, Chamber of Commerce. We do live shows and broadcasts from Branson back here to Memphis. So what were you doing there? Well, I find myself in Branson about three times a year, once for that Praise Fest. And then we do a couple of Women of Joys conference, and then we do another one in the fall. I love Branson, especially since I discovered Payne Valley Golf Course, because it's amazing. (laughs) yeah. You know what? It's it's just a great little town, great community. They love the arts in Branson. They love their concerts and conferences, and and I love going there. I know your music ministry has gone from Lynchburg and also with Dr. David Jeremiah. And I don't know, are you actually leading worship at a church right now? Yeah, what happened is after I left uh, Dr. Jeremiah there in Shadow Mountain three years ago, I came back to Thomas Road and Liberty. I'm an adjunct at Liberty and help a lot with connecting students to different ministries and internships, things like that. But mainly what I do is just represent Liberty everywhere I go on the road. And then also I'm the teaching pastor at Thomas Road, which means I preach once a month for Pastor Jonathan, and then I also lead worship once a month. And then the rest of the time, I'm free to uh, be on the road and do conferences and concerts and things like that. So I feel like I'm in the best season I've ever been in, and, and we're having a great time. Oh, that's awesome. Do you remember that first song that stuck in your head as a child? <laughs> wow, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, probably one of the hymns. Like, I remember singing There's Power in the Blood from the bathtub as a little kid. I used to sing that hymn all the time. Uh, But, you know, some of those great old hymns is probably where I would default to, you know, and still do in concert. I mean, like April 27th, I'm sure I'll break out a few hymns just because it's just part of my heritage and culture, and I love it. Oh, I do too. Yeah, I think Holy, 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 I was probably four years old at the Lindsay Memorial Presbyterian Church, which is no longer in existence in Midtown Memphis when my parents took me to church. That song still Mm. to this day stuck with me, which is a beautiful hymn. It is. Did you ever desire, Charles, another profession? You've been doing music for so long. By the way, you mentioned college. You went to college at Samford. I did. Todd Payne is our general manager here, and he was at Samford the same time (laughs) you were. Yes, he was. And I I just pray that he hasn't told you any stories. uh, (laughs) We're going to save those stories, Charles, for the opening of the concert. Oh, no. No, no, just kidding. (laughs) I was afraid you'd say that. But uh, (laughs) Todd is a great guy. We had a great time in college. And since college, you see, my problem is, and Dr. Spradlin, you'll identify with this, I've always felt called to preach. But up until just recently, honestly, most every invitation I got was to do my sermons in about four and a half minutes mm-hmm. and set the music. I've always felt called to preach, but I do it through song. Now, in first and second grade, I really wanted to be the president of the United States, but I kind of <laughs> got over that. So ever since college, I really, I mean, honestly, this is all I've ever envisioned is doing ministry. And then in my senior year, it just sort of blossomed into this, oh, they want me to come sing. Okay, how can I make a living doing that? So I did my first concert on May 24th of 1992, the day after I graduated, and it's the only thing I've ever done, you know, apart from being a worship pastor in a right. church. But well, even doing that, I was still doing my, you know, concerts and event ministry as well. Right. How would you say that music has influenced your walk with Christ the most? Oh, goodness. I mean, it's been a humongous part. I, I wouldn't say it's been all of it, because... I honestly don't listen to a 
ton of music only when I'm preparing. Like, I'm having to learn a bunch of new stuff for all these Women of Joy conferences we're doing. And so, you know, I listen to a lot of music when I'm learning it. But these days, maybe I, I probably listen to more podcasts and sermons than I do um, music. But growing up, and especially in those early days, there were some songs that absolutely shaped me as a believer, but also as a as a vocalist. You know, in my day growing up, you had the Imperials, you had the Allies, you had Whiteheart, you had all the kind of the more contemporary edge, Petra. Remember all these groups? Oh, yeah. I used to play them on the radio, yeah. Yeah. But then you had the inspo side of Steve Green, Larnell Harris, and Sandy Patty. I loved both. To this day, I still listen to all kinds of different music and love it all. But vocally, I, I always tended to um, lean a little bit more on the the more inspo side. So I would sing Larnell Harris and Steve Green songs while I'd be listening to, you know, White Heart and Petra. Because those are the kind of songs that I just feel like I sing better. And boy, back in those days, there was some great songs. And, and, and some of the songs that they recorded really did shape my ministry and my and my life and songs like People Need the Lord and Desert of My Days by Larnell and some of these great albums that they did early on. I remember one of them was Larnell Harris Live uh, at Brooklyn Tab. Oh, yeah. That was one of the greatest oh. I opted that thing till it didn't play anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, just certain albums that just had a huge influence on me. And it really began to shape the kind of songs I would write the songs I would like to sing, the songs I kind of record, even the way I perform, so much of it. But then I kind of transformed from that into more of a worship leader, you know, carrying my own worship band and things like that. So now, I don't know, I just sort of feel like I'm kind of both. I'm a worship leader who sings, and I'm a singer who leads worship, and I just do both. So April 27th is a good example of, of just, we'll do everything. We'll, we'll sing together, I'll sing to you. Uh, you know, I'll, I want to present truth. I always like to leave people with five things. I want them to, I want to, I want to leave them with five things: something to think about, something to do, something to remember, something to feel. You know, something to hold on to. And so, I just hopefully will accomplish that that night. Just people walk away going, "Okay, I can, I can think about this for a while." But I was also inspired to do this. And there was this one moment that I really remember, and I'll, you know, hopefully, life changing stuff. So I love that. I love a, that, Charles. Well, let's remind our friends that Charles Billingsley is coming, as he just mentioned, to Mid-America Chapel, benefiting Mid-America Seminary and College, April 27th. Dr. Mike, you want to give us some more details? So Brother Charles is going to be with us during the day for a chapel, because one of the things we want to model for our students is, what does real worship look like? What is worship? And and you hear that word used a lot. There's a criticism, you know, well, it can be entertainment or whatever. But, you know, the thing that, that we do for the Lord should be quality. Um, low quality doesn't equal spiritual. Uh, there are some people that are tremendous musicians, but they don't have a great spirit. In other words, they don't that spirit of exhortation or whatever. And somebody like a Charles Billingsley, they're ministering for the Lord, and they have great talent. And so we've yeah. got that. And then we have a concert that night for the community at 7 o'clock. You can go to the Mid-America website and learn more about that, how to get tickets. Um, we are hoping to just pack the house just for a great time of worship and celebration. But we like to show our students the very best so they can see this is why honoring the Lord through music should be like and can be like. I think that's a really good word there, Mike. Speaking of that, I think it's important because, you know, musicians can really get into their music, their instruments or their voice. And let's stop there a second if we can, Charles. And 
Where did the gospel and when did the gospel first come alive in your heart when you first understood the price that Christ paid for your sin? Well, I was six years old. I'm the product of an evangelist, and my dad was what you call a pioneer evangelist out west, and we just went, you know, all over out, you know, Montana, Wyoming, Utah, things like this, and I was in church every night of my life, but it wasn't until I was sitting in Southeast Baptist Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, on a Sunday morning, and believe it or not, yes, there are Baptist churches in Utah. That's the morning I got saved. That's the morning that the Holy Spirit just really drew me to Him, and and you know, it was another moment in another conference when I was in seventh grade in Richmond, Washington, that I was I saw live music for the first time with a band. There was a group called the Continentals. You remember them? I'm not sure I remember them, Charles. Well, they were kind of like a precursor to the group Truth. Okay. Um, okay. They were a live worship band, you know, and and uh, I think a lot of this kind of came out of that Jesus Revolution type, you know, in the fifties, because right. now like you know, late seventies, early eighties. I'm in seventh grade, I'm in this youth conference, and I'd never heard a live Christian band before, and it was mesmerizing. And then we would go to these other conferences where people like Richard Bradford and Russell Newport and some of these these guys that nobody's ever heard of, but their voices just inspired me. I knew that I was being drawn to ministry. I just didn't know in what capacity. But, you know, one day as a sophomore in high school, uh, I got dared to do a song for our Sunday school class at First Baptist Jacksonville, Florida, which was, you know, about 400 in the class. So it was a fairly <laughs> sizable group. And I took it as a dare, but I'd never sung a song in my life in front of anybody. And that's kind of the day I discovered that I'm fairly comfortable doing this. And it felt like the most natural thing in the world. So it was probably about my sophomore year in high school that I really started to hone in on what my calling is. But in the end, I, I've always felt like my number one calling in life is to be a communicator of truth. It's just that I use music as the medium. Right. But I recall sometimes in the past when the late Dr. Adrian Rogers' ministry was very active and moving at Bellevue, and you would come and do concerts, and one of my fun things to do is to take pictures. I would sit on the front row, and I would zoom in on your singing and taking some shots, you know, and I'm just saying... You can really tell when somebody is genuinely worshiping, mm-hmm. and it's not, they're not trying to draw attention. Well, you know what I'm saying, Dr. Absolutely. Mike? Absolutely. It's not drawing attention yeah. to yourself, but giving the praise back to God and trying to point your audience to do the same thing, to worship Jesus. And it's so beautiful, Charles, to see. Well, first of all, thank you. But, you know, and, and Dr. Spravlin, you, you, you've seen this a thousand times, too, but it, it really is an interesting dynamic as a vocalist, because if I'm going to express myself musically— you know, a guitar player can play a riff, and everybody's like, oh, cool. You know, if a singer expresses himself vocally at the wrong time and in the wrong way, it can come across as showboating or whatever. And so there's a dynamic that goes on, and it's a tension, honestly, that's always there. And I talk to Liberty students about this a lot, between performance and worship leading. And all of that can happen in the same song, but the issue is what's your motive? Are you, are you trying to get attention for yourself, or are you bringing glory to the one who deserves it? Mm. And what I've always tried to do is, even though some of these songs are kind of, you know, they got high notes at the end, and they're big performance, quote-unquote, songs, my only prayer is that if my heart is right, and I'm having to perform this song, which is not an easy thing to do, it's got some big high note at the end, you know, it's, it's what any vocalist dreams of doing, but at the same time, i got to be careful who gets the glory. My prayer is that even at the end of a big, what could be construed as a showboating song, that my heart is trying to give the glory 
to the one who deserves it, and that's the Lord. It's easier to do that when you're singing a song with lyrics straight to the Lord, and it's not some big vocal bombastic moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's harder to do that when you're singing a song that's meant to be a big bombastic vocal moment. <laughs> <laughs> so my prayer is always that people see and hear my heart above what's going on with just my voice. Charles, after doing music for so many years, all the miles traveled to do concerts, hotel rooms, missed flights, time away from your wife and kids. What has God taught you most about himself through these years? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is that he's never going to leave me, and he's never going to forsake me, Amen. despite the good and bad. I mean, I've, we've definitely had some bad ones. I mean, COVID just about killed me, and literally, and about eight years before that, I I had this moment with my voice where I, I had a polyp growing on the left vocal fold and had to go into surgery and didn't know if I'd ever sing again. And about eight years before that, when my grandfather committed suicide and we lost our unborn baby three days later, you know, just, just seems like about every eight to 10 years, something will happen in your life that just drags you right through the depth of the valleys. Those are the moments that you look back and you're thankful for, because those are the moments that you had to relearn all over again how to worship the Lord, and it's not with a song, and it's not with singing and using your voice. It's it's deeper than that. Yes. And yes. that's one thing that I want to communicate to the students at Mid-America is that, you know, worship is something that is born from the depths of your soul. It's not something that you do on Sunday morning. When you learn truly what it is to worship the Lord as a worshiper, as one who has surrendered your life, then you suddenly it dawns on you that, well, man, if this is really what I was created to do, then every decision I make in my life, every dollar I spend, every relationship I have, everything I even say should be a reflection of one who is created to bring glory and honor to God. And if it's not, then I'm not really living mm-hmm. a life that he's called me to. Yes. And what I've had to discover how to do that without having a voice, without having a song, sometimes without having a dollar to my name, you know, it's like, but this is the valleys that God tends to take you through. So that when you do come out of that valley on the other side, you look back and you realize, wow, he never left me. It's like the psalmist talks about being in the mire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have a deliverer, right, Dr. Mike? Set my feet up on a rock, Psalm 40 from yeah. David. Well, Dr. Mike, not only are you a theologian and preacher and also being the president of Mid-America, but you're a musician. What do you appreciate most about the music that Charles presents. Well, put me on the spot. When you say Charles Billingsley and you're a musician, I'm not sure those categories go together. I'm a, Charles, I'm a trombonist, so we're in the back of the pack. Yeah, yeah. By the way, Charles, if you ever need a studio backup on a trombone, oh, Dr. Yeah. Mike, and he's got a horn and will travel. I guarantee you people will, will wow. never, people pray harder when I play. So, um, but, uh, <laughs> so the thing about Charles is, is just, okay, as a musician, there are some songs that are fun to play. They may not be great worship yeah, songs. Yeah. They're fun to play. Yeah. There are other songs yeah. that, you know, in the trombone section, we've, you know, we're, we're back there with the whole notes or whatever. And it's not as much fun to play, but it's just a great worship song. Right. The thing I like about Charles is he really combines what I call enjoyable music with worship. Because there are some hymns that have great doctrine, but... This I don't mean to sound heretical. I don't get a lot out of them because it's just musically there's not a lot there. And I'm not a critic of modern music. I love all kinds. I'm like 
Charles, I listen to all kinds of music. Probably embarrassed to say everything I listen to, but but I listen to <laughs> I all kinds it. of stuff. High, loud, and fast are the three keys to good music. And so there are some hymns <laughs> that don't do a lot for me because just it's just kind of very predictable. It's just so predictable. Traveling around the world, people will say, "Hey, you've never heard these choruses. How do you know them?" It's like because I know exactly what chord you're going to. It's the same three chords. It's yeah. just a different language, and it's boring. And so the thing I like about Charles is it's actually to me musically interesting. But I'm also blessed, and so mm. it's not just oh this was this was cool. He did something different. I didn't ex- I didn't see that coming. It's like he's got a gift of exhortation, yeah. and you hear that music and you get the gift. I think that's what makes it a little distinctive. It's not just the genre or the style of music, but there's an exhortation. The Holy Spirit's working, but the music is interesting, and that doesn't mean it's complex or not complex or old or new or whatever, uh, because there's some old stuff that's just awesome. Yeah. Um, and you were talking about meaningful music. So I was saved as a teenager and Keith Green was our thing. And I still remember the first time I heard Easter song, hear the bells ringing, they're singing that you can be born again. I've never forgotten uh-huh. the first time I heard that song. Yeah. And I didn't know Christian music could sound like that. So to us, Keith Green was it. And I, I, I didn't really know about Truth till later. And I liked them mostly because they had a trombone. Yeah. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so, um, and it's so funny because when I accepted Christ as a teenager, it was the real anti-rock music phase of the 70s. And so our youth pastor told us, you know, Mike, you're a new believer now. You need to, to break, bring in all your rock and roll records. Burn your albums. And break them in front of the group. And yeah. I had a lot of Chicago oh, yeah. albums and I broke them. I was kind of grieving because I liked I like jazz and big band music. And so I thought, well, but I'm a Christian now. And, you know, if you're in the car with somebody, uh, excuse me, would you change the radio station? I'm a believer in Jesus. And I'd like to ask you not to play that music. And then I'm at Bellevue Baptist Church on a Sunday night and they play a Chicago song, Saturday in the Park is a postlude. And I'm like, wait, it was okay all along. Yeah. I, <laughs> I want my okay. life back. <laughs> but the thing about Charles that's really cool is that it's just great music. And, it's re- and as a musician, you appreciate when somebody He's really good. I've been blessed by people that are not very talented musically, but they love the Lord and they've got the gift of exhortation. So when you've got the gift and the talent, it's just awesome. A winning combination. It really is. Yeah. So uh, You know what? Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, Dr. Spradley, but I just put out a jazz record full of all those classes. Okay. I'm sorry to say I'm ignorant. I did not know that. I'm on it. I will, I will have it before yeah. the day is out. Yeah. By the way, on that album, which is featuring Broadway hits, big band, smooth jazz, yeah. In the Great American yep. Songbook, you worked with some incredible producers. Tim Davis, who worked with Barbara oh, yeah. Streisand, Glee, Wayne oh. Hahn, yeah. who did Celine Dion and Boys to Men. How did you connect, uh-huh. Charles, with these two to do this project? Well, Tim Davis did my Christmas record, which is also a big band record. And so we committed then about five years ago that we wanted to come back and do a big band slash beautiful arrangements of great jazz classics like Shadow of Your Smile and mm-hmm. The Very Thought of You. And We decided to do it five years ago. It's just that it took me five years to finally pull the trigger because these things are not inexpensive things to make. But to be honest with you, I've been so thrilled. And so now our focus is really, besides you know all the events and churches and stuff we do, we're actually doing a pretty focused effort to get into symphonies and do these jazz concerts with symphonies and and i've done three so far and what i love 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 is that first of all it's great music and it gives me a chance and i know this is going to sound bad but it gives me a chance just to rear back and sing and i don't get to do that much because in a worship leading environment that's just not my role you know my role there is to draw people of god into the presence of god 
But in this context, I can just rear back and sing and not really have to worry about it, you know? And it's so fun. But what's also cool is that half the crowd there does not know the Lord. Hmm. Just doesn't know it at all. And so it's been so fun because, like, I'll close the concert with an It Is Well With My Soul or something like that. It invariably gets the biggest response of the night, and it's literally a hymn. But even the crowd that doesn't know the Lord appreciates it. And I have this opportunity then just to share briefly about who I am, what I do, and, hey, by the way, if there's an emptiness in your soul and you want to know how to fill that, come see me afterwards. And you wouldn't believe the conversations I've had with a crowd that's predominantly lost, but they just appreciate good music. So my, my effort right now is to kind of create this new little salt ministry where I'm going into communities with their local symphony and doing these great songs and classic songs, and at the same time, hopefully, on the front lines, just opening their heart to the gospel. Pretty awesome. That is so awesome. Charles, what determines for you that after walking off a stage, just completing a concert, that it was a good night? Oh, that's a great question. What's the win? Um, you know what? A couple of things. First of all, it's usually not musical. We can have bad nights musically, but still walk off that platform knowing that it's been a powerful night. So first and foremost, especially in the context of a of a worship service or something like what we're doing April 27th, to me, the win, is the way I like to say it, would be to walk off that platform knowing that the Holy Spirit moved the way He wanted to, which means, first and foremost, that I did the songs that I feel like the Lord wanted me to do, that I delivered in the way that He wanted me to deliver it, that I communicated the way I'm supposed to communicate, but also that they received and responded to what exactly we were trying to do that night. And if that all happens, then to me, it's been a great night. You know, a lot of times you don't know the results because these things happen in chairs and pews and and benches that, you know, decisions are made or things are done in people's hearts that the Holy Spirit does that I just have and will never know until glory, maybe, what the Lord was doing. But if I walk off that platform knowing that He was given the opportunity to do that without me being in the way, uh, knowing full well that I did not quench the Spirit in any way, shape, or form with a bad attitude or the wrong communication or the wrong thing said, usually I can walk away feeling like, okay, this was, this was what it was supposed to be. Charles Billingsley, April 27th, Mid-America, benefiting the school and a seminary. Friends, we want you to get tickets. Dr. Mike, how can we get tickets for the concert? You need to go to the Mid-America website, mabts.edu. When you go to the website, you'll see a button for tickets. Press that button. You need to come. You need to bring people with you. Um, We've got great seats available. The seats are going to be selling out quickly, so please come soon. It'll be easier on everybody if you uh, get those tickets early. And come be blessed. Remember, uh, this is not a concert. This is a blessing. This will help you spiritually as you serve the Lord. Uh, You're going to be encouraged, edified, and, um, and so I'm excited for our students, but I'm especially excited for our community. Charles, the last word? Well, I promise not to be too long or too boring. Come on now. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Charles, thank you for joining us here on the Bot Radio Network. Dr. Mike, always a pleasure. Yes, sir. Well, friends, that's all the hey. time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. God.